which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he get, uh, a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You may be seated. I want to give you what I have in my heart, and, uh, and I, I share this with you as a pastor and as a friend to the church. Uh, I could never give you everything I get out of my study, and it's too hard to give it in 30 minutes here. And it's really difficult to give you everything. I encourage you, when we're done, to go back and listen to the messages again and to go back and read the Word of God and to go back and do your own studies and, and to look into what's being shared. But I believe one of the things that's highlighted here is the subject matter of faith and prayer. And so Jesus is instructing the apostles on prayer. And so as he's coming to them and instructing them about prayer, he begins to teach about our Heavenly Father, something glorious about him that he does desire for us to come to him. And, and one of the things that God looks for is not just a consistent but a persistent heart of faith and prayer, uh, coming to him knowing and believing and knowing who he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And so when you come to this set of passages here, Jesus then gives us this parable. He gives us this story of a friend who comes to a friend in the night. And that friend comes in the night, and when he comes in the night... Uh, he's saying, hey, I have need of something. And you know, he did not have need for something of himself. He had need of something for someone else. It wasn't for himself. And he says the friend, even though he was a friend to him, didn't want to let him in just because he was a friend. But he let him in because of his importunity. That word importunity is the word persistence. He let him in because he was persistent. Now Jesus is talking about prayer, and he's talking about faith, <laughs> And he's talking about persistence now. And so where are we as believers in our persistence in faith and prayer? Now, I know when my kids were little, how many of you can recall this? One of your kids coming to you for something and they really want it to the point they were aggravating you. Have you ever had that happen to you? They're just agitating you and aggravating you to the point where you finally go, here, 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 just, just go. How many of uh, those words have probably come out of your mouth too, amen? Here, 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 take it, just go. And, and we get to that place where we get just frustrated with them and we give them what they want because they're coming and they're pleading and they're begging and they're asking and they're saying, would you do this, would you do this, would you do this, would you do this? Now, it's sad when your 17, 18-year-olds are still doing that, amen? And, uh, and you're like, no, get out of here. And, uh, but here's the thing. The Bible uses a word called importunity, meaning persistence, especially to the point of even annoyance or intrusion. And this is all in relationship to prayer. If you look at verses 1 through 4, Jesus is talking about prayer. 
And then he gives this parable about this subject matter. So this idea of persistence, now think about this. This is a firm continuance in a course of action. This is the idea, despite attempts to persuade you to not do so, you keep on going in that direction. And so you're persistent at something. You persist in something. You keep going after it. You're continuing after it. And here's the thing. Even refusing to change one's opinion or chosen course of action, despite those attempts to persuade you to do otherwise, you stay in that course of action. And so your prayer life and your faith is to be one of persistence. And you stay in that course of action. Now listen, the world and the flesh and Satan want to cause us or to persuade us to go in a different direction. Uh, the, the world and Satan and your flesh want to tell you there's no sense in praying. It's not going to happen anyway. And, and your flesh will tell you uh, there really isn't faith. You know, I, I believe there's God. And, you know, maybe if I ask him, maybe he'll give it to me. Those kinds of things. Our flesh will tell us those things. Satan really wants you there, especially when you're coming to God on behalf of another. He, he doesn't really want you doing that. So he wants you to feel failed in your faith and failed in your prayers. And so he wants to dissuade you and cause you to go in a different direction. Now, going to the Lord and seeking him for answers to guide you in this life is so important. It's not that he's unwilling. And believe me, God is not an unwilling God to answer prayer. He is not. God is willing to answer prayer. That's who he is. He told us to come and to pray, to seek him out and to request things of him. He's not there just so we can just beg and plead and him not answer us. He's not unwilling to answer. The other thing is, or it's the fact that he does not know. You say, well, uh, if he already knows, what's the reason that I go? Or the fact that he does not know. Uh, why should I say anything about it? Uh, going to the Lord and seeking him for answers is what we're talking about here. The desire for you to come to him, showing your faith in him. And I really believe God's looking for his people to come to him in faith, praying, believing that he's going to answer their prayers. That's the God that we serve. And this is what Jesus is trying to impart this knowledge unto these apostles, unto these people about their prayer life. And listen, we have to stay persistent in our faith and in our prayer. When you pray, do you really believe that God's going to answer your prayer? When you pray, do you really believe God's going to answer your prayer? Now, the Bible says this in Hebrews 11:6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Now, listen to me. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So, God tells us one thing there, and then I'm going to think in my own heart and mind that he's not going to answer my prayers. We need to pray believing God will answer our prayers. And believe me, he will. And here's what happens. Fear, fear keeps us from asking God. Fear keeps us from asking God. Fear keeps us in a place where the devil and the world and Satan want us to be. Fear keeps us from really trusting in God the way that we should. And so fear keeps you from asking God persistently for his will. That's the problem we have. That's the fear. We're asking for his will to be done. And then the idea is this, or your faith will keep you coming to him. Your fear will keep you away from him in prayer, or your faith will keep you coming to him. Now, when we look at this, to stay persistent in your faith, one of the things is God tells us in the scriptures, trust God, he is your friend. He is your friend. 
Christ is your friend. If you as a saved individual would kind of get the idea that God is our friend, he is for us, he's not against us. The second thing is, is God teaches us in the scriptures to do this. You have to pray with boldness. He said, come boldly before the throne of grace. Did he not? God wants us to come there, and when you have that idea of boldness, you're coming with great confidence, knowing that he is the one that answers prayer. And then lastly, this. God gave us a gift. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit. You cannot continually to malnourish yourself spiritually and think that you're going to be spiritually well. The Spirit loves the Word of God. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves to hear the Scriptures. If you deny yourself reading the Scriptures daily, you're denying the Spirit that indwells you that very thing. Because the Spirit loves the Savior, and the Savior loves the Lord, and we are to love the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit worketh in us and gives us this wonderful gift that we can open up the Scriptures and we can understand truth. And so I want to challenge all of us this morning to realize, first of all, we have a friend in God. If you are saved, God is your friend. And we have to see this according to the Scriptures. Now, we have a wonderful parable here that demonstrates how persistent uh, the Lord wants us to be in prayer and pursuing after Him and to meet our need and the need of another. And so the Lord reveals to us in the Scriptures numerous times that He is our friend. In John 15, 15, he said, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. I want you to know everything that we need to know, he's made known unto us. Amen? Amen? We have it. And he said, I call you a friend. You see, your friend gave you something, didn't he? And he gave you not only himself, he gave you the Spirit, he gave you his Word, so he's given us everything that we need. And so we see this in the Bible. Now, this story that Christ uses is to help me and you understand that our Lord wants us to come to him in persistence. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand this morning, I just want you to think about this. How many of you have given up on some particular prayer in your life? You just quit praying about it anymore. Say, ah, just forget it. And here's the thing, why would you do that? Now, one of two reasons. One, you don't believe God's going to answer your prayer. Or number two, you're not praying according to the will of God. So you give up on it sometimes because you're not praying according to his will. You want something to consume it upon our own lust is what James teaches us. And what God's teaching us is that we come and we should have confidence and we should be able to come boldly before the throne of grace because we're coming in confidence because we're asking for his will. Does that make sense? I want you to kind of get a hold of this because when you're coming to God, you must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. And so this is one who comes in the night, has a need, and the other is able to fulfill that need, yet rejects because of inconvenience to them and their household. I want you to know God is never inconvenienced by you coming to him. Never is he ever inconvenienced by you coming to him. And here's the thing. Sometimes we feel inconvenienced that we have to pray. We feel like, boy, this is going to be an inconvenience. I actually have to kneel down and ask God to help me with this. But I want you to know that God, even though you trouble him, he is not troubled by you. He is not inconvenienced by you by coming to him. Now, this friend in the night was inconvenienced, wasn't he? When you look at what happened here, he said, hey, listen, why, trouble me not. He said, the door is now shut. <laughs> I want you to know God's door is never shut. It's always opened unto you. And all you have to do is come praying, believing. Now, when you go to God, 
No matter the day or the night, no matter what hour, he's not troubled, but he is grateful, especially when you're coming on behalf of another and have a need for another. Now, here's the thing. How many of you have been praying for somebody to get saved and they're not saved yet? How many of you have been doing that? Don't quit. (laughs) Take them in persistence by faith and prayer to God because you don't know when the hour will come when he will either have you or someone else share the truth of the gospel and that person will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. How many of you remember Brother Miller that was here with us? Uh, Brother Chris Miller, evangelist Brother Miller. He was here, and when he was a young kid, he met this uh, older man, and this man refused to get saved. And Chris, throughout all the time that he was in evangelism, kept praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and he said, I prayed for him almost every day, prayed for this man to get saved. And I believe some 20 years passed by, and Brother Chris would go to him, and he would reject and reject and reject and reject. Finally, Brother Chris goes to him, and the man got saved. Now, I want to tell you something. We can't give up on people. And that's our tendencies. We just want to give up on them, and you cannot do that. You have to persistently stay in prayer for those people. Now, listen, a need of another. So what are some of the needs? Well, what about the prayers for the lost? Is there a need in our country, in our nation, in our church, in our community for the lost? Absolutely. Why would we quit praying for the lost to get saved? Why would we quit praying for them to be turned from darkness to light? Why would we quit praying about those things? You see, God wants us to come and, if you will, trouble him over these things. Uh, You think about the souls that need to be saved. And and if it be one, it's worth it, is it not? And so we need to go to God and, if you will, trouble him about the condition of the church, about the condition of our community, about the condition of the hearts of the people. And we need to come and we need to trouble our God over the fact that people need to get saved. And so we're asking God as our friend, God, you told us this. This is your command. This is what you've told us to do. And Father, we come and we are begging our Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to win the loss to Christ. You're begging for that. Oh, but what about this? What about the unsaved? What about the backslidden? Now I want to tell you what a backslidden Christian is. A backslidden Christian is is one that says, well, churches, eh, if I go, it's okay. But, eh. If I, if I read my Bible, if I, yeah, it's all right. Uh, you know, spend time in prayer, sure. Ah. Right? It's not one that blatantly rejects our Savior and falls into some blatant sin out here and continues to put the name of Christ to shame and is out here. You see, what we think is, is that a person got saved. I think we need to have some people get a checkup sometimes. And I'm not the Holy Spirit, but God clearly told us that a man ought to examine himself, whether he be a reprobate or not. (laughs) And by the way, if you want to find out what a reprobate is, just go read Romans chapter 1. You'll find out exactly what a reprobate is. But in in Corinthians, it told us that that prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? Then you go over in Romans and read what a reprobate is. Now, if there's a person living a life of a reprobate, is Jesus Christ in them? That's a good question, isn't it? And so what we have to challenge ourselves with is what is a backslidden person? It's a person that kind of lackadaisically approaches God and lackadaisically approaches church and lackadaisically approaches his Bible and prayer and time with God, or witnessing to people or sharing the gospel, or that's for other people, that's not for me. And they're just kind of just laid back and, you know, hey, I'm just doing my thing, you be you. 
That's what they're doing. And the reality is, is that we do have a responsibility, don't we? And it goes beyond what we think for the lost, for the unsaved. We ought to have some persistent prayer, shouldn't we? For people whom we love and care about for our community. A faith that knows God will answer the door and will not shut you out, for he is not disrupted by your request. God wants to hear from you. (laughs) And if you have somebody whom you love, if you love this church, if you love your community, you will begin to pray, and you will cry, Abba, Father. And you will ask God to do something to turn them from darkness to light. You will do that with your pastor. You will pray with him. You will pray for him. You'll be praying about the things that God wants to do here and that God would guide us and that he would lead us and that he would direct us to those homes that are most needful. You would be praying about those things and then you would be participating. You'd be giving of yourself and of your time to invest in those things. Now, I challenge you with this. In Philippians 4, 6, he said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Now, I want to tell you some of the very worst things I see in Christianity today. One of the worst things that I see in Christianity today. The worst sort of people are those who have long been professing Christianity. And they profess to be Christians. I see nothing worse than this in our society today. They long to say that they're a Christian. They've been in it for a long time, but they're destitute of any grace in their own heart. Having a heart for the lost, they have no desire. Have no desire as a witness. Have no desire to tell anybody else about Jesus Christ. Have no desire to hand out a track. Have no desire to talk to people about the Word of God. Have no desire. There's nothing worse than that, folks. And if we're saved people, we ought to be motivated by God, the Holy Spirit, to have a desire to go and do these things and help reach the needs of others and to live by the truth of the Word of God. The need of the spiritual truth about salvation, the need for the spiritual truth about the life in Christ, and to avoid bringing them uh, to church is, is a foolish thing. You want to bring people to church. You ought to be inviting people every week to come to church. And you say, well, I don't know how to lead someone to the Lord. Come talk to me. I'll show you how to lead them to the Lord. The other side of it is, is all of us ought to be inviting at least somebody once a week to church. We ought to be inviting folks all the time. Listen, as long-term Christians, (laughs) we ought to be better at it than anybody. We ought to be better at it than anybody. We ought to be longing to do that week after week to bring folks in and to encourage them. Now, listen, you say, well, preacher, let me tell you something. I just can't be inconvenienced that way. I got too many things on my plate. I got too much going on. I've got too many things I've got to do. If you just knew my schedule, if you knew what I had to do and the things I have to do, hey, listen, it doesn't hurt to just say, hey, listen, I want to give you something. I got a track here. I I want to hand this to you, and I want to invite you to church. My church is located on 71 North Hamilton Street. It's Calvary Chapel. I want you to come. Come visit with us. How long does that take? 10 seconds? 20 seconds? 30 seconds out of your day? Five seconds sometimes? Sometimes I just do this. I'll say, listen, I see you're busy. I'm going to leave this with you. You take time to read that. I'll come back and talk with you about it. (laughs) How long does that take? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not always about an organized time where pastor calls the whole church together to go to some specific location. It is the attitude of the heart of the membership. That's what it is. 
We have to have that heart to win the lost. We ought to be crying unto our Heavenly Father. He says in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. <laughs> you see, God is our friend, isn't he? He gives us the Holy Spirit, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are able, you are able to take a track and to give it to someone because you're saved, <laughs> because you know Jesus Christ. It is not hard to hand this to someone and say, I want to invite you to my church. Tell them you want them to come over and see that crazy man that stands at the pulpit and screams on Sunday mornings. Tell them anything you need to do to get them in the door, but don't lie to them. Give them a track. Give them a track. Hand it to them. Take the second to invite somebody to church. Now, as I challenge you with this, have appropriate passages ready, you know, because sometimes you hand this to someone and you strike up a conversation. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Well, man, I don't know <laughs> if I want to talk about that stuff. Well, I'm going to give you a couple of verses this morning that will just help you, okay? And, and what I want you to think about is be ready. Have them handy so that you're sure to hit on the right text when you need to. And by the way, there's a lot of right text just right on the back of this. Amen? There's text that you can show them right here on the back of this about what it means to get saved. Now, listen, if God is our friend and we are a friend of God, and God is our friend, God left us a responsibility, didn't he? And it's not hard to pull one of these out of your pocket and hand it to someone else and just say, hey, listen, I want to invite you to church. That's not even, that's, that's getting to the tip of it witnessing, isn't it? Now, what happens whenever you get to the place where they say, well, wait a minute, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Are you ready? Are you ready? You say, well, that's why I don't do that stuff. I don't give them this stuff because I'm not ready. <laughs> well, let me give you a couple of passages to help you be ready. You see, we ought to really be uh, like looking out to, to have those texts for a seeking soul. You know, there's souls out there that are seeking. They're, they really are. We don't want to believe that as we sit inside these four walls, but there are souls out there that are really seeking something. And they're either going to find Christ or they're going to find some false religion. And the truth is, is we want them to find Christ. That's why we invite. That's why we encourage. That's why we hand out tracts. That's why we do these things. Let me give you some verses. Luke 19.10. Luke 19.10. The Bible says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That which was lost. That's what he came to do. Think about it. If he came to do that, and then we get saved, and he gives us the Holy Spirit, then what do we need to do? We need to do exactly what he came to do, amen? That is the Great Commission. That's going to seek and to save that which is lost. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. That's a tough passage, isn't it? Do you know what that says? If they're not saved, guess what you're destined to do? Die and go to hell. The wrath of God is on every soul out there that is not saved. Every soul, that means your brothers, your sisters, your cousins, your aunts, your uncles, your neighbors, your co-workers, your bosses, the people that you run into each and every day, the folks that you go to the, to the grocery store and meet up with. Listen, if they know not Christ, the wrath of God is upon them. But God called us his friend. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? I'm a friend of God. I don't have to be concerned about what the destiny of my soul is. You say, well, that's where I have my comfort, preacher. I'm done. I'm comfortable now. I got what I need. I don't need anything else. 
Well, I want to tell you, we have a responsibility to our friends. He tells us in 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, no matter what the world teaches, the Bible teaches that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from our sin, doesn't it? It's not speaking in tongues. It's not going to a Pentecostal church or an apostolic church or a Catholic church or it's not going down the street to find out what the Muslims believe or what the Buddhists believe or what somebody else believes. It said that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sins. That's what does it. There is nothing else going to do that for anybody in this community or inside these four walls. It's going to be Christ alone. Have another verse handy. John 6, 37. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. No way is he going to throw you away. <laughs> no way is he going to put you away. He's going to take you in, isn't he? Man, what a great God we serve. Amen. What a friend in Jesus. Isn't that what we sing? <laughs> and when you look at that verse and you say, in no wise will I cast him out. Romans 10, 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. How many of you have heard this? Well, I just can't do it. If you just knew my past, if you just knew what I do, if you just know how I behave, if you just know what I think, if you just know where I've been, if you just know what my life was like, if you just knew where I grew up, if you just knew what this happened, or if you just knew the things that I've done in my life, I can't get saved. Hogwash. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. saved. Amen. Is their social status an issue? No. Alcoholism an issue? No. Drug addiction? No. Pornography? No. Anything that you can think of, that they're a liar, or that they're a gossip, or that they're a backbiter, or that they're any of these things, in what way did he say any of those things would keep you from him? He did not, did he? The fact is, <laughs> he said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what that means? A man that put a trigger to another man's head and pulled it, if he asked Jesus Christ to save him, he will. You say, that's ridiculous. No, that's truth. Amen. That's truth. Does it mean that he's not going to pay the consequences for the sin or the action that he took according to the law of, of our country, of our nation, or of that state? He sure is. But I'm also going to tell you, there is another law, isn't there? A law that comes above that. And there is a Christ who died even for that man that pulled the trigger and shot another. And the fact is, it doesn't matter where they are in their life, Jesus died for them. So you can't tell me your situation or your condition or where you are or where they are is going to set the conditions of whether they can or cannot get saved because it doesn't matter, amen? If a madman of Gadarenes can be up in the hillside cutting himself and screaming like a wild man and then Jesus get a hold of his heart and the next scene that we see in the scriptures is and he was clothed and in his right mind and at the feet of Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. That's a wild man. That's, that's a lunatic on a hillside cutting himself. Hey, when Zacchaeus was up in the tree and, and Jesus walks by, here's a man that's robbing other people and taking from them and stealing from them and, and he was just robbing people of everything and Jesus looks up to him and as Zacchaeus come down, today I must abide in thy house. <laughs> Did it matter that he was already stealing from people or anything? Was that going to stop him from getting saved? No. No, Zacchaeus got saved, didn't he? When he met the woman at the well, and he meets up with the woman at the well, 
And the woman comes down, and she's a Samaritan, and she wants to know why this Jew's even talking to her. Right? And she's at the well. And, and, and he says, let me tell you what I need. I need a drink of water. Why are you even talking to me? He wanted to talk to her about some kind of specific water, wasn't he? He wanted to talk about some living water, didn't he? Whenever she said uh, to him, hey, I have not a husband, he said, you rightly said so, right? Didn't stop her from trusting Christ as Savior that day. No. No. You see, we get things in our head, don't we? So if a rich man, a bad man, and a prostitute can get saved, what can we do with the gospel? Are you with me? Hey, well, Minster's very affluent. You can't go out there. They're all Catholic. Where in the Bible does it say that you can't get saved? Said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved, right? Your background, your condition, your situation, uh uh-uh. (laughs) uh. Doesn't affect God. Shouldn't affect us. We should just give the gospel. When I look at this, God's not going to reject our request, especially when you come to Him requesting the need of another. So here's the question to you Are you persistent in your faith in Christ and seeking answers to prayer? You know, I love the Bible because He said, He is the rewarder of them that diligently do what? He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Are you diligently seeking God for the souls of the lost? Are you crying out to God, God, we need to see people get saved right here at Calvary, amen? That they might start walking the aisles and that, God, you would start doing something inside this church and outside these four walls that he would take them from darkness to light, that he would pull the scales from their eyes. Are we pleading with God or are we just kind of sitting back watching what happens? Waiting to see where it will all end. I challenge you this morning. Fear will keep you from asking him this persistently or faith will keep you coming to him for it. Won't it? Now let me give you this. We're to speak to God with confidence. He says in verses 8 through 10, I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is a friend, yet because of his importunity, he said just because he was a friend, he still didn't want to get up and give it to him. (laughs) But his persistence in coming back. So Jesus is talking to these folks about what? Prayer. And he's saying to us that because of this man's persistence in the night, at midnight, when's Jesus available? (laughs) All the time. But we're not willing to persistently go after our Savior. So praying with boldness. The man in his house did not want to fulfill the need, even though he was a friend. But because of his friend's importunity, his persistence, the man of the house arose and gave his friend what he needed. Now we come to some beautiful verses. We like these as Christians sometimes, but we don't like what it really means. In verse 9, And I say unto you, Ask, and it shall be given. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth, and, every, and he that seeketh, findeth, and him that knocketh, it shall be what, folks? Okay. Opened. Now, we are then given this principle. He said, ask, seek, knock. Isn't that good? Ask, seek, knock. Ask, right? Seek, knock. Ask, seek, knock. If you were doing an acrostic, how many of you know what an acrostic is? Amen. And you look right down and you say, okay, if I line these straight up and down like this, ask, seek, knock, what's that come out to? Ask. (laughs) Ask. Ask. 
And he says in this passage right here, For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. I want to ask you a question. Is God a liar? Is God lying to us in that passage? Has God just lied to us and said, you know what? <laughs> hey, there's things I've asked before. He didn't give it to me. God's a liar. God lies to me all the time. He said right here, if I ask, he'll give it to me. If I seek it, I'll find it. If I knock, he's going to give it to me. He's going to open up that door. And I can give you a list, Pastor, of a thousand times I went to him for something and he never gave it to me. Now I want to challenge us. Let's not distort the verse. Amen? Think about this for just a moment. We do not have what we have because you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Now I want to ask you something. If he's my friend, my true friend, does he know what I really need? When I come and I ask amiss, <laughs> and he says, I, can't, I cannot honor that request. It's not what you need. Well, preacher, I sure do need a lot of money. If God had just answered my request and just give me a lot of money, that would answer my problem. I just need a lot of money. If I had a lot of money, then I would be okay, and God has not answered that request yet. You know why? Because you don't need a lot of money. If you needed it, he'd give it to you. But you know what? If he gave it to you, you'd be using it for his glory, <laughs> not for yourself, that you might consume it upon your own lust. Now, I challenge you with some thoughts here. Here's the thing. This word ask is a powerful word. It relates to persistence. And you know, it has this idea that I am begging the Lord. <laughs> I'm pleading with my God. I'm begging God to do this. And, and John 14, 13 and 14, he said, And whatsoever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. <laughs> now, if I'm going to ask it in his name, is it going to be something that's going to harm me? If I'm going to ask it in his name, is he going to give me something that's going to cause me to be distracted or turned in the wrong direction? If I'm going to ask in his name, it's going to be according to his will. Would you agree? Now, the Bible clearly teaches that as well. When you go in and read the scriptures, go to the Lord in confidence, knowing that he hears and answers the prayer. It says he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. I ought to have confidence when I go to God because in 1 John 5, 14, the Bible says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. So don't distort the verse. Ask, seek, knock for what? Myself? Just what I want? Or for his will? For my needs? <laughs> I want you to get it right. Don't get it wrong. So, you know, what's the example? <laughs> Go in here and you see this. We, we have a calling here at Calvary, a high calling in the hands of God, bringing life from heaven down to dead souls. That's what we're doing. And our aim is resurrection, amen? Our mission is there's a lot of dead people out there, isn't there? And they need the resurrection, would you agree? They need the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So our aim ought to bring that message from heaven down to this earth to these lost souls that are dead. We're trying to bring a heavenly message to dead people. And dead people need Christ. For without him, they'll serve an eternal death. And so God says, come to me, pray with boldness. Now, we have a uh, mission uh, here in, in a couple of weeks. We've got uh, Brother Phil Skipper coming. We've got two weekends that we're going to go out and we're going to knock on doors. You say, why waste your time, preacher? 
you know what? I'm never wasting my time when I'm serving God. <laughs> and I am never wasting my time when I'm handing out tracts. Now, I don't know about you, but I get excited about it. And you say, well, what if nobody comes? It's okay. I know I did what God called me to do. Amen? But I believe people are going to come. I believe you men ought to get together and start praying that this would happen. You ladies ought to start getting together and start praying that this will happen. You can do this. You say, well, no, 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 preacher. You planned this. You did this. Don't put this on us. No, I'm telling you, we are a body of believers. Amen? We ought to come together, and we ought to pray together. We ought to seek God's will. We ought to say, hey, listen, I want you to pray about this family. This, Brother Chris, is the family that I'm asking God to bring. I want God, Brother Chris, to bring the Drexlers from the 17th through the 20th. Would you pray with me, Brother Chris, about the Drexlers coming? Would you do that, Brother Chris? Amen. I have a family that I want them to come. And I'm saying, Brother Dan, would you pray with me, with this family, that they would be here for these services? And I say, Brother Dan, I'm asking you to go to God and plead, plead with him that this family would come. They need Christ in their life. And I tell you, the Hogan Camp family needs Christ. I said, Brother Dan, would you pray with me about that? Are you with me? And I'm praying that you get together for this cottage prayer meeting. And I'm praying that you men will come together and not for the purpose of gossip and not for the purpose of sitting back and, and, and just bantering or, or having some sodas together. I'm talking about as men getting together to pray. Amen? You get together and you begin to get on your knees and you cry unto your heavenly Father and you say, God, you see the condition of things. Does he not? He sees where we are, folks. He knows where we are. And he's the only one that can change it. <laughs> Not me, not you, he. By his will, by his power, he can accomplish it. He'll do it. You know what he's looking for? Some faithful men that'll get on their knees and begin to pray to a holy, righteous God. I want to give you something, and I want to read this to you. I'm reading a book from uh, Charles Spurgeon, and it's, it's called Soul Winning, and I'm not here to preach uh, Charles Spurgeon's uh, messages, but he made a statement and I believe this with all my heart, folks, and I think one of the most well-attended services we ought to have here at Calvary Chapel Baptist Church should be Wednesday night because that's prayer night. That should be the night that we have this place filled up with people because it's time to pray. We're going to a heavenly Father as a body of believers seeking our heavenly Father, and we ought to be praying together as a group. It ought to be one of the most well-attended services in the church. Here's what Spurgeon said. It said, it may happen that some of you do preach very earnestly and well and sermons that are likely to be blessed, and yet you do not see sinners saved. Well, do not leave off the preaching, but say to yourself, I must try to gather around me a number of people who will be praying with me and for me and who will talk with their friends about the things of God and who will so live and labor that the Lord will give a blessed shower of grace because of all the surroundings are suitable thereto and help to make the blessing come. I've heard ministers say that when they have preached in the tabernacle, there has been something in the congregation that has been so wonderfully powerful effect upon them. I think it is because we have good prayer meetings, because there is an earnest spirit of prayer among the people, and because so many of them are on the watch for souls. The tabernacle is where Spurgeon preached. And he said, men that come from the outside and come into my church and preach said there's something wonderful when I preach. And Spurgeon didn't attribute it to his great charismatic, well-spoken self. 
he attributed to men and women in that congregation on their knees doing what? Praying. Praying. Praying to God. <laughs> Praying that God would do something. Praying to their Heavenly Father. Praying with boldness. James 5.16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man does what? It availeth much, doesn't it? And when you think about this, fear, fear will keep you from God. Or faith will keep you coming persistently to Him. There's one more thought that I want to give to you this morning. I want to preach this truth, and it's the most wonderful one. Beginning in verse 11, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If then ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? God is in those who trust Christ as Savior. He's in us. Now, I want to challenge you with this. When I read that verse and I look at that, he said, if, if someone came and asked you for a loaf of bread, who would give him a stone? Now, we got to think about the day and age in which we're talking about, okay? When they made bread, okay, it could look like just a stone, couldn't it? <laughs> it could look just like one. You know, when you pick up a fish, some of them, they look like a little bit like a snake, don't they? <laughs> and you look at a, a scorpion when it's balled up, it looks like a little egg. And you know what he said? I'm not going to give you something that's similar to it. I'm going to give you the right thing, isn't he? I'm not going to give you something that just kind of looks like it. I'm going to give you the real thing. I'm not going to give you something false. I'm going to give you something real, isn't he? And when you get saved, he gives us something very real. It's called the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's not something different, is it? It's not something that's kind of like Jesus. It's something that is exactly Jesus, amen? He's not giving us something similar. He's giving us the real thing. So the gift of the Spirit, the Lord, gives us this gift, and he says he'll give it to whomever seeks him diligently, not for our own lust or our own will, but for his will to be done. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. Where's the Holy Spirit? He's in us. He is in us. He's not out here. You know, I've even gone to revival meetings and it says, Oh, Holy Spirit, come down upon us over top of this. You know what? Foolishness! The Spirit of God is in you. That's a bunch of hogwash. The Spirit of God is in man. He has given him to us. And we have the Spirit of the Lord in us. He's not out here floating around somewhere. He's in you. Isn't that what the Bible says? He's not somewhere out here floating around. He's in you. You say, well, what about the unsaved? That's where the saved are praying, and God miraculously brings down the Spirit of God and places it in that person, amen? He's not floating around here in the auditorium anywhere. He's either in you or he's not. When you look to the Scriptures, the gift of the Spirit, the Lord does not just want us to come to him in emergencies either. He wants us to come to him constant. He will answer our prayer or reveal to us the reason he will not fulfill our request. He'll tell us why he won't do it. God's not going to leave you in the dark about anything. 
And the fact is, is that you have to take a step back and just ask yourself, am I asking God for something to consume upon my own lust? Or am I really asking for the will of God in this situation? I want to tell you the most detrimental thing I've seen in young people's lives is when they don't consult God or they don't consult good counsel and they go to make these decisions apart from God and apart from good counsel. And then they end up with hard and heavy burdens in their lives. And it's a sad place for that individual to be. And I'm seeing it more and more and more because we don't have enough of us out there telling them some things about how to get saved and how to live by God's Word. And you say, don't put that pressure on us. I'm telling you, there needs to be some pressure put on the church. We need to be preaching that. Not just inside these four walls, but outside these four walls. We need to reach people. We need to tell them truth. When I go to the Scriptures and I think about this, he says in James 1, 16 and 17, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Any good gift that's in your life, God gave it to you. Any good thing you have, anything you have in your life, God lets you have that. And I began to think, we see specific gifts that the Lord has given. And you know what that specific gift is? He said, any man that calls upon me, now I want you to see this, okay? He said, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Amen? And it's not so he can come and leave and come and leave and come and leave and come and leave like some religions teach. The Holy Spirit is in you. <laughs> That's what the Bible teaches. Now, whether this is a prayer unto salvation or a prayer of the saved for the filling of the Spirit or a change for a heart of a backslidden Christian, God will provide. I began to think about the Holy Spirit this morning. You know, it's such a wonderful gift from God. The Holy Spirit is such a wonderful gift from God. And, and, and I wrote some things down here, just, just his names. And I'm going to throw these out. You can write them down if you want. If you want me to give them to you later, you can come see me. But I just want to tell you some things about the Holy Spirit today. The Bible says he's the Spirit of grace. That's in the Bible. It says that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of grace. When you read that in the Scriptures, you see that in Hebrews 10, 29. It says that he is the Spirit of faith in 2 Corinthians 4, 13. He's not only the Spirit of grace, he's the Spirit of faith. He is also the Spirit of adoption and assurance. Isn't that good? You know why that's so good? Because I've been adopted and I'm assured of my position in Christ now. Amen? I'm assured that my home is in heaven. He teaches us that in Romans 8, 15. Uh, you look at, at uh, he's the spirit of truth, John 14, 17, 15, 26, 16, 13. By the way, I quit writing them down in John. <laughs> the fact is, is that John said that he's the spirit of truth. So God's not a liar, is he? And God gives us a spirit of truth. And so this is the name of the Spirit of God. He is also the Spirit of prayer in Romans 8, 26. He's the Spirit of judgment in John 16, 11. He's the Spirit of holiness in Romans 1, 4. He's the Spirit of power in 2 Timothy 1, 7. He's the Spirit of glory in 1 Peter 4, 14. Hey, there's a lot of things about the Spirit of God in the Scriptures, isn't there? And the thing of it is, is that that's the gift that God gave to the saved. <laughs> that's the gift. And we possess it. Now, there is but one thing that the child of God needs, and that is to be filled with the Spirit. So the lesson Jesus teaches us is the Father is longing to give the Spirit to people. And then those that have the Spirit, God is longing to meet with us as His friend. He wants, to come, he wants us to come to Him in boldness. Acts 2.18, He says, I will pour out in those days of my Spirit. You know what He said? The Lord will give the gift of the Spirit in abundance. 
So the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. He's giving it in abundance, isn't he? And when you look, Christ came to seek and to save that which is lost. Christ came to do so many wonderful things. So here's the question for you this morning as a church body. Will you pray and ask God to give us the power of the Spirit amongst us that we can go out and, and fulfill His requirement for His operation as a local church? We need Christ, folks. We need God in this ministry. We need God to really take over this place. And He will as men and women and your pastor begin to get on their knees and really pray to God and seek Him out. Seek God out. Now ask the Lord to take complete control and entire possession of the guidance of your life. Ask Him to do so. That's what He said here. He's trying to teach these guys in prayer. Listen, you need to let the Spirit have His way. In the middle of all of this, God's not going to give you something you don't need. He's going to give you exactly what you do need. He's not going to give you something similar. He's going to give you exactly what you asked for. Now, he's not going to do it according to your wants or your desires. He's going to do it according to his will. God answers prayer. Do you know what we need to be? Persistent. In our